Galatians 5. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we come to you this morning, coming to this word that is ever living, ever fresh, ever green, ever real to our souls, because it is your God-breathed out word, you the eternal God. So let us come humbly before your word to hear it, pray for your help to understand it, to speak it clearly, and to be shaped by it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not going to work kind of line by line through this text today. We often do that. We're not doing that. We'll be focusing actually on verses 22 and 23, which is typically known in the Bible or in Christian circles as the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it's called here, the fruit of the Spirit. And this is where we'll camp out for a few weeks and ask God to shape us and want to begin by asking you just like, what do you want? As you look down the road in your life, what would you like to see? Several years ago, I did a, a practice or a, uh, a spiritual formation exercise with several folks, friends, um, some in this congregation, where I helped them write their own eulogy. You know, eulogy is what someone says about you at your funeral. And, uh, and that sounds kind of morose, I know. And they weren't really writing their own eulogy. But uh, the idea was this, you know, by God's grace, many years from now, somebody will say something about you at your funeral. I'm going to tell all of you and me, many years from now, somebody will say something about you at your funeral. <laughs> That's an inevitability. It will happen. And the intervening years between now and then, we actually play a part in what will be said. And now this didn't have anything really to do with the person's eulogy, because that's a real thing, but it will, it will be fleeting. It will be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. But it was a simple exercise to get people to think about like what's really important in my life. 
And what's really important, or what do I think is really important in, the life, in my life for those who love me? What's really important to me about those who love me? And here's what I discovered in doing this. And this is for a few dozen people, all followers of Jesus so far as I knew. And every, every person, including myself, I did this kind of with myself too. I mean, we spend our lives thinking about what we, we think about in our life. Like, you know, if it's, it's our jobs and success and advancement and family budgets and money and maintaining our home and maybe even getting a bigger home and uh, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. None of those things are necessarily bad, right? But with enough distance and enough lifting our eyes, and enough looking down the road, almost every single person, when they thought of what they would like to be said about them at their eulogy, at their funeral, were concerned about things like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe throw generosity in there, maybe that's somewhere sprinkled in there. That's what they wanted people to say. The kind of people ultimately they wanted to be, myself included, probably yourself included. With enough distance, we tend to see what's important and what's weighty. But what happens is the day-to-day concerns tend to, to crowd out the weightier things in life. We know that. And just before I move on, I'm going to say, by the way, if you want to do that exercise, email me. I'm happy to walk through that with you. Now, it will take an hour and a half to two hours, and you have to do some work. Um, But it is a good investment of your time, and I think does bear fruit longer term. It's something to return to. Um, But email me. My email's on our church website. Look for it. You'll find it. Okay. We're going to conclude 2023, believe it or not. We're, we're in that season where we can say we're, we're ending 2023 soon. It's remarkable. As you get older, time goes faster. So if you're in, this, if you're in the strength to strength group, you're like, 2023 just started, right? Um, we're going to end with an exploration of what real growth and change looks like for the next several weeks moving into Christmas. And that's real growth and change in us individually. And then inviting our imagination to think, what might this look like? in this community called the family of God, the church, as we work it out horizontally, or perhaps as it's worked out in your family. So is this easy? No, this is not easy. Is this messy? It is messy. Is it possible? It is truly possible for one reason. We're not alone in it. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Christian? No. The fruit of the hardcore, serious, devoted follower of Jesus? No. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit of the living God is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. It is an organic metaphor of something God himself develops in our life. Sometimes slower, sometimes faster. 
So today we're just taking a very, as I was walking through this before the, as I was looking at my notes in the back before church, like, wow, this is a really a top level vision of the fruit of the spirit. Because then for the next several weeks, we're going to dive into each descriptor in different directions. So this is the 10,000 foot view where I want to connect, I want to connect what's going on in my own life and your life to like the bigger movement of God in history. And I think it's pretty plain as we begin to see it. Uh, but a couple introductory comments. This is not a list of virtues we develop. The Greeks had all these lists of virtues and vices. This is not that. This is not something like we go point by point through uh, and produce through effort and resolution and being convicted and trying harder. All those things may be a part of it, but that's not what produces it because this is the fruit of the Spirit. And these are not... Uh, nine different fruits of the Spirit. And this gets hidden in the English, but it is a singular word, a noun, the fruit of the Spirit, right? So we could say uh, the fruit of the apple tree is red, spherical, the size of a fist, seed-bearing, good for baking. It's all different descriptions of the same fruit. That's what's happening in this passage here, the fruit of the Spirit. So on the front of your insert here, where it says this, there's a pear, maybe? I don't know. It's a fruit of some sort with all these things. These are not nine different fruits. It's nine different descriptions of this same fruit. Thank you, Lauren Ebel, for making that graphic yet again. Uh, that means for you, all of these elements are growing in us over time. None of us gets to say, I'm good with the joy and peace thing, but the self-control and gentleness, I'm not that kind of a Christian. That's not my gifting, okay? That's dumb. We, this is, uh, you know, it's not like some personality test we take, like I am this, I'm an eight, but not a two. I'm a, I'm a six wing four, you know, Scorpio wing Gemini, just stuff we were kind of talking about. Um, like it's all stuff together, descriptors of the work of the Spirit in our life, and so it's all growing together. Now, because of our disposition, our frailties, our weakness, our context, we all may be growing at different, like, different speeds at that shape, right? But all of this is present in the life of a Christian. Now, we will look at them separately as we go on, but not because they are separate things from each other. They're multiple descriptors of the same reality. Thirdly, this is also something that's already happening in us if we are in Christ by faith. Because the spirit of the living God is dwelling in his people. It might be little bitty fruit right now. Just a barely a, a bud of what will become a fruit. But it's happening in you already. This is not something you don't have that you must go get. This is something that God has already placed in us and is already working in us. Sometimes um, you will see like... Uh, a young middle school young man or young woman who's like short but has huge feet. Why is that? Well, somebody might say they're going to grow into their feet. You know, feet tend to grow first, right? Like, how does this kid who's four foot ten have size eleven feet? Well, he won't be four foot ten in a few years, right? And we're growing into something that's already theirs. 1 Peter 2.2 2 encourages God's people to grow up into their salvation. Something's been purchased for us by another, by Jesus, and we're already connected to that by the Spirit. And over time, we will grow up into that. And one day, we will be into that fully. If you take this same gathering of people, if you look around, all the people in this room, 
And if you're in Christ, if you look around and you can push pause and forward 130 years and look at the same people, it's a glorious gathering. Because you will be glorified. And one day we will all stand together on this earth in resurrected bodies. And it will be overwhelmingly stunning. Because the image of God in us that's marred and broken by the fall. And it begins to be recaptured in Jesus will be full. And you will be glorious in all of these dimensions. And Galatians 5 is asking us the question, can some of that future reality be pulled back into the present? for the glory of God, for the blessing of those in our world. And so we just enjoy the life Jesus died to give us. And the answer is yes. But is it messy? Yes. Is it possible? Certainly, because we're not alone. And so, as we go through two, as I already mentioned, I want to just ask, what do you want? What would we like to see in our life? with respect to the quality of our life and the way God is working in our life and in our relationships. There's a mystery to this. I mean, this is the work of the Spirit, but we, we as theologians would say, cooperate in our sanctification and our growth. We have a, a calling to come alongside in desire and devotion and submission, dependence on God. What do you want? This is a question I'm asking my own self too. And here's the the point we want to make in this whole series, that the fruit of the Spirit is really the life of Jesus replicated in his people. So the big idea here as we start is that the life of Jesus is cultivated in his people by his Spirit for others. The life of Jesus, friends, is being cultivated in your life by the Spirit of God for others. And as we go, we could say the love of Jesus is cultivated in his people by his Spirit. The, the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the patience of Jesus being cultivated in your life, and so on and so forth. So let's just walk through that idea here, put the insert, outline in your insert, and we'll be prepared then for the, in the future to go step by step with these. First of all, the fruit of the Spirit is the life of Jesus. I don't mean like Jesus is kind of like this with these nine qualities. And so if we develop these, we're kind of like Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this actually is the life of Jesus himself. It's a much bigger God-centered, historical-centered reality. And so if you just let me take you to a mini seminary class just for a second of like this overarching sweep of scripture as it runs right into the way you treat your spouse or your kids or your best friend. Okay. I want to connect the, your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control to what God's doing in the world or the, my own. In, back in August, our daughter Rebecca and her husband Jared bought a house in the Broad Ripple area and we helped them move in. And this is their first home, so they don't have a lot, so we help them. Um, didn't mandate that they get movers to help them. And uh, they were very generous and bought us and, and bought pizza for everybody at uh, Papa John's. 
So I'm not really sure how generous it was, but you know, it was, it was okay. At that point, when you've moved a lot of stuff, you're super hungry. So I said, I'll go to pick it up. And we, you know, the, all their plates were packed away. So we're just going to go put Papa John's and, and eat pizza and bring it back and eat pizza. So I go to Papa John's and with Rebecca with me and uh, I get the pizza and I'm like, I, we need some plates because we don't have any plates. They're all packed away. And he's like, we don't get plates anymore. I'm like, what? Like, what, what? I mean, this is, and so here's the bottom line. I was rude to the guy. I didn't use profanity. I just, I made it known that this was a really good Papa John's to be used for the last time by me. Um, you know why? Because I'm kind of a jerk sometimes, honestly. I mean, I was just like, it didn't, it was contrary to my will in the moment. And there are contextual things that make it easier for me to sin, like being tired and being hungry. But it's not, a, it's, it's not an excuse. It's just a reason. <laughs> and, uh, I walked out of there and Becca's like, Dad, here's the problem when you disciple children. Sometimes they turn and disciple you. She says, that was wrong. You were unkind to that man. Do you think he made the decision at corporate headquarters not to give plates? And all of this, she's totally right. Um, and she's like, this is another human being made in the image of God. You ought not treat them that way. And she's Right. But you know, it's, it, it's not just that. <laughs> um, it's more than this man is made in the image of God. It's more than I ought to be kind because that's the minimum we should expect from other people in a civilized society. Uh, the way I respond to the man of Papa John's or to my wife, Carmen, or to my kids or to you and the way you respond to other people is connected to something far bigger in this world. I want to show you what it is. Okay, let's go back into the Old Testament. God has called a people in Egypt. He's called them together and he rescues them out of slavery and he leads them out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness, through the wilderness, into the promised land. He puts them in the promised land. He makes provision for them in the promised land. And in so doing, he tells them Israel, he calls them Jacob or Israel, Jacob and Israel. He says, my people, I have designed things so that you be a light for the nations. You are to live in such a way vertically with me in a humble, submitted relationship, worshiping me, that it works uh, horizontally out in your relationships. And people will see that and say, I want to be part of that. And he likens them to a vineyard that bears a lot of fruit. So Isaiah 5, so this is all in the back of your insert. I encourage you to turn back there for a second because we're going to walk through this sort of redemptive history in Isaiah Starts out very lovingly. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes. That's the fruit. But it yielded wild grapes. That is not what he was looking for. So the picture here is God saying to Israel, I prepared everything for you. I set the table for you. I put you safely in the promised land. You are, pre you are prepared to bear the fruit. Verse seven. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah and the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice and saw bloodshed. And for righteousness but heard cries of distress. They were to bear the fruit of justice and righteousness, but he looked and said, no, there's only bloodshed and distress. So justice and righteousness, right? Right 
the Old Testament theologians would say, right principles and right actions in community. So being, if you think about it, rightly, vertically aligned with the Lord, worshiping him, receiving from him what it means, what uh, covenant love, and that being horizontally expressed in community in terms of justice and equitable arrangements so that this nation of Israel in the world against this backdrop of brutality and barbarism and darkness would be this shining light that all the nations of the world would say, wow, we want in on that. Look at how they treat each other. There were even laws in the Old Testament to protect the foreigner that journeyed among them, those who didn't worship Yahweh. Now they couldn't set up, you know, churches to the Canaanite gods or anything like that, but they, they were protected under these Old Testament laws because they're equitable and just, and the design was for Israel to worship God and live a way of life that showed the, what a blessing of being in covenant with Yahweh was like. That was the design. That's why God brought them out of slavery. It's why he protected them, but they did not bear fruit. The garden was set and nothing but wild grapes bloodshed, and cries of destruction. So their hearts were far from God, and that was evidenced in the way they treated or didn't treat each other vertically or horizontally. There was nothing. Nothing except one promise in Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 11, there's this prophecy that one will come from this apparently barren stump. Jesse, you may know, is the father of King David. In a stump, it's... We're not going to go into all the imagery. It's something is cut off and it doesn't look like it's going to have life. And all of a sudden, life comes from this little shoot that comes out of the roots of this stump. Someone in the line of David will come forth and he will bear fruit. And that fruit will be connected to the spirit of the Lord resting upon him. And we get to Matthew 1 and we say, oh, it's Jesus The Messiah, the one in the line of David has come and the spirit of God rests on him and he bears fruit. He he loves perfectly. He exercises justice and righteousness and all these descriptors of love that are, you know, we see in this fruit of the spirit passage. So this is a prophecy about the Messiah Jesus, one of the well-known prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah Jesus. And the way the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel especially, talk about the coming of this Messiah is the dawning of a new day. The dawning of a new age that begins when he, when he takes on flesh and completes when he returns. So for you and I, we live in the middle of that. The age has begun, but it has not been completed. Sometimes we say we live in the already, but not yet. The kingdom of God has come really already and we taste it. There are signs of it everywhere, but you know it's not fully come. Dustin just prayed about war in the Middle East yet again. Why is that? Because the fullness isn't here yet. In that, already not yet, evil is dealt a decisive blow at the coming of Jesus, but it's still present. Taylor preached a really good sermon on this on Revelation 20 a few months ago that since the coming of Christ, the gospel has gone out into all the world. And the, the, the 
power of Satan is no longer unfettered. It's being constrained. And one day it will be removed. Well, just a few chapters later, Isaiah 27 gives us a picture of that. In that day, the day of the one from Isaiah 11, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In our Old Testament series last year, we made this big point about how Leviathan and the serpent in the Old Testament is this Old Testament picture of Satan. What this is telling, sorry, I said this is a mini seminary class. Okay, just stay with me. As a result of the work of the Messiah, the work of Satan will be destroyed. There's a decisive blow dealt with Jesus at the cross, and when he returns, it will be completed. So that's, that's the picture, but it's not all the picture. It's not just destructive, it's constructive. Verse 2 of Isaiah 27, On that day, a vineyard of beauty, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. And down to verse 7, in, in days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. So this is picturing a day that begins with the coming of Jesus where the vineyard bears fruit again with the vision that one day that fruit will fill the entire earth. In the New Testament, as you may know, the Old Testament, you know, Jacob and Israel, Israel gets transformed into the church. This Isaiah 27 is a picture of the people of God, Jesus' people, the church, you in your seat, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Now we might say, well, that didn't go so well the first time they were supposed to bear fruit. It's different this time. Look at verse three again. The Messiah here takes personal responsibility for the fruit bearing. I, verse three, I, the Lord, am its keeper. Just, if you have a pen, just circle that word keeper. <laughs> I water it every moment. Circle water so that no one may damage it. Circle damage. I guard it night and day. So these are, just, these are four really important words here. I am, I am the Lord, its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. So what Isaiah is doing is picking up language from the Garden of Eden where God tells Adam, guard and keep the garden against the work of the serpent and Adam doesn't do it at all. And so what happens the serpent destroys everything and God says in Genesis 3.15, I will send one who will undo what was done this day and a second Adam then comes on the scene in Jesus and he guards the garden from the serpent by crushing the serpent even though it took his own life to do it. That's what it means Jesus guards the garden. He gives his life for the garden. Though he crushes and slays the serpent just like he said he would up in verse one and two so that the garden can bear fruit. He is damaged, but the, gar the vineyard is not. He is damaged, so the vineyard is not damaged. Jesus is crucified. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. He teaches for 40 days. He ascends to the throne, and then he sends his spirit, his spirit, which is the hallmark presence in the church in you. 
This same spirit who in John 7 is called the spiritual water that gives life to God's people. So we're just connecting everything (laughs) together here. And then he says these great words in John 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's all I want us to see. Fruit bearing in your life is not a good thing. It's not a nice thing to make you a better person. It's not only that I should speak kindly to the man of Papa John's. It's not about moral formation. It is a sign that the kingdom of God has come. It is a foretaste of the way the world will be. It is a prophetic announcement to ourselves, to, our, to one another, and to the community that the king has come and he will return again. And he has conquered sin and darkness in our life, even if a lot of times it doesn't seem like much fruit. Every little tiny thing we see in our life or somebody else, we say, I see it. It's a sign that the kingdom has come and it will come fully. And that he's completely committed to it because he gave his life for the garden to bear fruit. This is the life of Jesus. It's cultivated in his people. And all I want to say about this is it's cultivated in real people struggling with real things. Verse 16, he's talking to the church. I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and uh, uh, those of the spirit against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is he telling the people this? Because they're tempted to do these very things. It's not a hypothetical reality. He's just saying, but he, what he's saying is that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. These are no longer coordinate with how you've been redesigned to live. And so it is, it is hard to love people. Usually not because of the people, because of me. It's hard to be joyful. And you can say, well, I'm just a cynic. I'm just a realist. No, I'm just that, not jo- that joyful. Right? It's hard to be patient. You know, sometimes in community group, we say like, okay, you can't ask for prayer for patience because it's like the default, like, oh, I just need to be prayer, you know, be, be patient. As if it's like a little thing. It's not a little thing. <laughs> We're going to go through those one by one, but let's not be naive about it. There's all kinds of things in our world outside of us and inside of us that want to bend us away from this kind of fruit bearing that Jesus died to give us. This is cultivated in his people by his spirit. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. There's a mystery to this whole thing. 
The Spirit gives the energy for fruit bearing and we rest in Him and exercise effort. We have a responsibility, but it's in response to something Jesus has already done. We don't have time to go into this, but let me just read to you a little bit before this passage in the same book in Galatians. It's one of the first passages I ever memorized in my life. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. If you're in Christ, here's what's true about you. You have been crucified with Christ because of what he did, because of the spirit uniting you to Jesus through faith. When he died on the cross to sin, it is as if you died on that cross with him. When he went to the grave, it is as if you went to the grave. You have been crucified with Christ. Your sin now cannot define you. It describes what's going on in our life, but it cannot define us. We have been crucified with Christ. That's the position where we now, we say, okay, Lord, now work in me with this fruit. We're not wondering about our justification out of our status with God, like, what if I don't bear fruit? Right? This is not, that's not on the table. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Let him bear fruit through you. We're responding to something Jesus has done. And we're responding what the Spirit is doing. He's leading us. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. He's saying, hey, you want to bear fruit? Here's, what I, here's my invitation. Come on. Come on. Let me lead you in that. Really, a lot of this comes down to, do we want this? Are we open to God working in our life and revealing things to us that we might have to repent of and allowing us to you know, calling us to rest on him in new and fresh areas. He's, this is the leadership of the Spirit. Come on, guys. Let me bear fruit through you. And finally, this is for others. Verse 13, this is bookended by others Verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All these things, the, the descriptors of the fruit of the Spirit, require other people. You know, we jokingly say, you know, I was, I was a very patient person until I had children, right? I was a very patient person until I got married. We're, very, we're great on our own, <laughs> You know, Bob's like, don't you worry, I was your college roommate. Okay. <laughs> we're very patient until, we're, we, we, have, we bear all these fruits wonderfully until other people get in the room. We, the context for fruit bearing is other people. And if you look around this room, friends, God in all of history has sovereignly providentially ordained that the context of you bearing the fruit of the spirit in your, the fruit of the spirit being born in your life is with these people right here. You're like, I don't even like some of these people. I go, it's okay. That's why patience is there. <laughs> like, and love is there and faithfulness is there. Right? It, in your, the people in your family. That's who God has placed you. That's where God has placed you to bear fruit. It might be very difficult right now. The Organic metaphor of cultivating fruit, it takes a long time. If you're a gardener, you know a lot goes on behind the scenes before fruit is born. 
Sometimes it doesn't look like anything has happened. There's a lot of soil work being done. And fruit isn't, isn't always in season. I know we, you know, I do the shopping for our family typically. So at Costco, I almost always get blueberries unless they're like $8.99 a pound, which they are sometimes. But sometimes they're $2.99 a pound because they're in season. Sometimes they're more expensive because they're getting imported from way far away. Fruit, in spite of our grocery stores, fruit's not always in season for us. So it, in community, it seems like there's, the ground lies fallow for a while, right? But we're cultivating it. The Spirit's cultivating this reality. It's exactly what he's committed to. He gave his life for it. So I want to end where I began, just asking you, what do you want? And I want to encourage us in these next nine weeks or so to begin to think horizontally a little bit more. Faith, the vertical faithfulness with God in Scripture is always worked out horizontally in love toward other people. That's where it's shown. Last week, Taylor gave a great challenge to us, or a great encouragement to us, that in communion, we look three directions. Does anybody remember which direction? Give me one back, and around, and forward, right? Back, ahead, around. So we look back to what Christ has done on the cross. That's what's pictured here. We look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will dine with Jesus again and we look around. This is called communion. It's not just communion with God. It's communion with each other. We look around at the people we're taking this with. We look around. This is the family God's placed you in in this season of life to bear fruit and it's exactly what Jesus is personally committed to doing as he guards and provides for the garden. So if you're in Christ, after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come to the communion table.